Hey guys, it's Liz here. This is our third episode with my childhood friend, Tariq Gardner. I just wanted to give you guys a heads up that for confidentiality reasons, we had to retroactively redact part of it. So around, I think, the seven minute mark and one other time, it's going to be a little, it's going to sound a little awkward, but it's still a great episode and we're really excited to share it with you. Hey guys, this is Liz. Um, we are recording an episode with my childhood friend, Tariq Gardner. Um, Tariq and my parents actually met in college at the University of Virginia. Um, and we've kind of had our own little like play group, uh, family friend group thing for a couple of years. Um, so Tariq, if you want to just like, I have an opening question for you, because uh, I feel like your life is so crazy that I feel like we don't have time to cover enough. Um, and so I kind of wanted to start with the highlights and ask you, if you were to kind of like, Explain your life in chapters. What would like the biggest chapters be? Um, the biggest chapters for me would definitely be college and then dropping out of college. Those were two like, that's when like my whole life sort of changed for the better, so. Yeah, so walk us through. So I know your dad told me that you went to, sorry, it's not Washington Lee. No, I went to Emory and Henry, which is like a super small uh, school in like Southwest Virginia, just, totally not my vibe but I went for about a year and a half and then I decided it wasn't for me officially and then left and so like explain the community a little bit there because I know it's like pretty like, um, rural pretty like homogenous so it's about like uh 97 percent white and they're it's very like conservative republican energy and very like just you know there was a lot like I experienced a lot of like racism and homophobia myself from not only like the students, but also like the staff and like the, just the whole community in general. And that doesn't mean that there weren't like amazing people there that I met and like stuff like that, but there was a lot of like hard things for me to deal with while I was there. Yeah, I couldn't imagine, especially like even growing up in Arlington, which is more diverse, um, just for context, since you guys are listening, Tariq is black. Um, and actually we're both adopted. Um, so yeah. his parents are white and his younger sister is Chinese. Um, and so I think in our pre-interview, we also talked about like growing up in a transracial household. Mine is also transracial and it's a very unique experience. So I was wondering if you could talk yeah. a little bit about like how that's impacted the way that you like see yourself, so, like, live your life. Yeah, so this is actually really crazy. Um, a few days ago, well, yesterday was my adoption day. So a few days ago, I was talking to my sister who's Asian and I was talking to my mom and dad and I was like, we have to like feed her something other than just like rice and like Chinese food from like the takeout place down the street. And they're like, we don't know what to do. Like, we don't know like anything like that. And I thought back to like when I was growing up, like I think in black culture, like hair and clothes and shoes are all like, they sound like small things, but they're really important to the culture. So my parents had no idea growing up, like what to do with like my curly, like pinky hair and some lady at CVS stopped my dad one day and was like, please condition your son's head because it just looks crazy. And so I think just like the cultural differences of like not knowing, despite like their best efforts to like try and like indulge or like try to put us into our cultures. It's just like, there's stuff that you don't know and that stuff that you just can't know, so. Yeah, and I would say it's even hard just not looking like your parents too. Like there are so many yeah, times totally. that I, I remember like going through the airport with my dad and he was like, just get in and out like really quickly. Cause we don't, we're not the same race. Like you're a lot younger than I am. Like people might like yeah. think it's kind of weird, you know? And that's, that's so weird to be. And also people think that I'm like the girlfriend 
of my dad or my uncles and it's always like very Same. uncomfortable okay. so gross. <laughs> but like for me like going to the airport it was always so weird because my biological dad is like you know one of those born again muslim people so like my name's Tariq. so whenever i go to the airport like i always get stopped through security and like my parents are always like you know just headed on up to the front and like well this sucks i have to wait like an extra 30 minutes i'm like 15 like i'm not gonna blow up a plane but it's just there's always just like those little things that like when you're younger you don't notice but now when you look back on them you're like wow that probably caused a little bit of trauma back then you know what i mean yeah exactly you um you talked about your birth father mm-hmm. did you have you met him or is it just your birth mother i know so you lived I, with them in richmond for a minute yeah so i lived with my birth mom in richmond for a minute and that was like really good for my like I think for like finding part of myself and I haven't talked to my birth father. He's not the best person in the world. And um, he's reached out a few times, but I think that talking to him would be like worse for my mental health than like talking to him. So I try to like just avoid that in general. But also I think everyone in my family knows that we, like my biggest goal in life right now is just to make sure like I'm happy and healthy and thriving. So if I need to take a break from talking to anybody, like I can totally do that and it's no hard feelings. Walking it back to when we talked about your life in chapters, can you explain to us what's happened since you've dropped out of college and what avenues it's opened up for you? Oh my gosh. So I dropped out of college about three weeks before the whole COVID um, thing first started. So at that point I had gotten a job and I'd gotten, I'd gotten three jobs at that point, like two weeks after I dropped out of college, which was awesome. And I was just working a lot. And then all of a sudden COVID hit and I was doing like clubbing and like club promoting and stuff like that and dancing at some places. So then once COVID, you know, started, I like lost out on a big chunk of my like income because all the clubs were shut down. But it was actually really good because I got to meet like, you know, during that first part of the pandemic, it was like you had two friends that maybe you hung out with all the time because you had nobody else. So I got really close with some of my friends and that was just really cool. So what happened after the after the jobs that you had lined up didn't work out? What was the what was the mentality at that point? Were you worried or were you kind of still confident in what you were gonna like? Because you're um, you're pretty you're a pretty confident person, and I would say yeah. like you would like adversity doesn't like really bother you. I've only known you for like what like thirty minutes last week. So, um, <laughs> but yeah, I would say that how would you manage to deal with that? And why? How did you have that positive outlook moving forward? I think um, part of it is like me and my family growing up were never like best of friends I was not like the most polite and amazing child in the world but now we have a super close relationship so I always knew that like at the end of the day I'm blessed enough to like have a family that will always be there for me if I ever need anything but my main goal after leaving college was just to like okay wow my parents helped me through like a lot in college and I want to be able to just do everything on my own because I hate relying on other people and asking for favors so that's when I started like OnlyFans and all that other stuff and like that took off for me so that was really great yeah I'm very impressed by the fact that in pre-interview you told us that you've been working since you've been living on your own since you were 17 and you told us you have like six different jobs right it's and you told us that you work something like 19 to 21 hours a day how do you do that on Wednesdays I work 21 hours most days is only like 10 or 12 okay that's still like a lot that's a yeah more than a full-time job like how how is that sustainable for you? And how do you like, I don't know, how do you do that? So for me, I think part of it is each job like fuels a part of like something that I love to do. So for me, I think that was an important thing. It's like actually doing something that you like. 
because there's other jobs that I could do that like I can make way more money at but I'm not going to enjoy them so I think just enjoying the jobs is one thing and then also I hired like this new therapist who's like sex work friendly and used to be in the industry and stuff like that so one of like our biggest things that we're working on now is just like setting boundaries and like making time like for myself so I started taking a day off a week which is like super out of my comfort zone because I love to just work 24 7 but now I just have a day off to like do whatever I want and I make sure on that day I don't like make any plans with anybody it's just like go with the flow so so what made you join the sex industry and I think a lot of us have this question because we're familiar with the sex industry but not really so what were your kind of your first impressions and is it as glamorous as some people say so for me like I'd always found the sex work industry super interesting and I think I got pulled in by like those over glamorized like TikToks and like Twitters of like all these girls and guys who like went on dinner dates with their sugar daddies and you know got a million dollars which is so unrealistic and not true um so I think that really pulled me in and then once I was in the industry I noticed like it's not all like Chanel bags and Gucci all the time it's very like hard work for like your mental health and also just like your emotional health of like being you're selling a fantasy and it's hard to sometimes separate like your actual self from that fantasy. A lot of people, this is a question I ha- a lot of people have is that, for example, someone going into the porn industry, how do you manage to kind of, you're knowing that it's almost like a transaction, like there's something you're going to get out of it, but mm-hmm. you kind of have to put yourself in like a frame of mind where like, how do you manage to kind of be intimate with someone you've just met or know it's like kind of, um, like a transactional thing yeah transactional thing like how how does that work even um well for me I think the sex industry like just sex work in general is broken down into so many parts so I don't do um like as much in-person work as I do like mm-hmm. online um I mean I've gone and like you know done the sugar daddy thing for a minute but I think the the sexual thing for me is sort of just like fun like it's over the phone it's over the computer it's over whatever and you're just like talking to that person. I mean, video chat, sure. But to me, it's like, I go into a whole different mode and I'm like a whole different person in that time frame. A lot of people, we talk about sugar daddies. Everyone has like a different idea. They don't really know what a sugar daddy is, but everyone knows the word. Could you kind of go into detail about what the relationship is kind of like? like... Yeah, totally. So I think social media has really glamorized the concept of like having a sugar daddy because there's all these girls who like claim to only go out to dinner with them and like only do you know like only go out to dinner like we're in a yacht in Miami and my sugar daddy's yacht in Miami but we all know like deep down that they're doing a lot more than just going to dinner and um so I think that's really important to be clear like when you talk about sex work it's a lot more than just like easy peasy like just look hot and you'll get paid type thing so for me a sugar daddy knows from the beginning that the relationship is transactional because that's part of consent like you don't want to lead someone on and get money from them and then have it not be consensual and then i also think that like with the sugar daddy you're selling the you're either selling the fantasy of like being with like a younger like more attractive person or you're selling just like your time which we all do in a capitalist society anyway we sell our time constantly so i think that that needs to be destigmatized in that sense so can you walk us through, I think your personality specifically like lends itself really well to this interpersonal work. Can you explain sort of your philosophy and approach to sex work in general and like your OnlyFans and why you think it's been so successful? Because I think, I remember you telling me that you were like 
top 0.7% of creators. Like that's very yeah. impressive. I am. I'm top 0.7 now, which is insane. And I'm super excited about it. I think my philosophy behind it is I think there's, I consider myself like a higher end sex worker because obviously when I first started, I was not as talented as I am now. And I made so many mistakes, but I think my philosophy is just like safety first. I have like, I feel it's important that if you're in the sex work industry to have like a sex work parent who has been in the industry before and sort of teaches you the ropes and can help keep you safe. You know what I mean? Especially like if they're local and in your area, they can be like, oh, this guy's a creep, don't hang out with him. So I think that's really important, just the safety. And then also one of my biggest things is just like creating a brand around yourself because when I'm doing like any type of sex work, I don't really like consider myself like Treek. It's more of like a whole different persona. So separating that like person is really important, but it can be really hard and difficult and I mess up all the time for that, so. You talked a little bit about how there's like a psychological separation that the persona mm. helps to create. Like you said, your persona is kind of like bitchy, but people like that you're bitchy. Yeah. Um, can you explain a little bit about like, is there a psychological like downside? Like in what ways is it kind of taxing and in which ways do you enjoy it as well? Yeah. I think the industry itself is just super psychological. I mean, when it, when you think about sex on like a biological level, sex itself is just like, you know, create another person, but like we've sort of turned it as humans have turned it into like a psychological thing. Everybody's into their own thing. Everybody's interested in certain things. So for me, it's just like, I have my own like niche group that I can work with. And I think the separating like the personas thing is really important because not everybody's gonna want like a feminine, skinny, black person, like that type of thing. So if I can market myself towards that group that does want that, I think that's more important. I think that's what, when you look at any industry, like whether you're studying to be like an engineer or studying to be like a sociologist, there's always gonna be that you get paid more for being in a niche group instead of just being like, oh, I'm an engineer. But if you're like a mechanical engineer, you can work in that group and get paid just for that. So how do you kind of set up your OnlyFans? Because I know you offer like different types of services. You can communicate with the, your subscribers. Um, they can have special requests. So how do you manage? Is Do you have like a set boundary over like, what you're willing to say, okay, I'll do that versus what you're not? Or is that always like a constant dialogue? And it's based on like what you're interested in the moment as well. Yeah. So I think uh, one of the biggest things is that like a lot of times people will see the price tag and be like, oh my gosh, like like another sex worker who's new would be like, oh, this person's going to pay me a thousand dollars to do this, even though I don't want to do it. Is the money worth it? But for me, I think I, my most important thing is just like consent in all aspects. So setting those boundaries from the beginning of like, this is what I'm open to do. This is what you're willing to do. Like when you subscribe to my OnlyFans, the first message you get is like a menu of things that I'm willing to do. I've already shot, custom videos are available, but like price may vary, like stuff like that. So I think I would never personally do anything that I don't want to do for any amount of money. But I think that's just, it's not a concept that a lot of people think of because if someone offers you a thousand dollars to do something crazy, it's a thousand dollars and for newer people that's like a ton of money and they would totally do it but for me i'm a lot more like specific on like oh i don't feel comfortable doing this this isn't something i want to do and there's a lot of people on only fans um who want things that i don't think kinks are weird and like kink shaming is totally wrong to me but i do draw the line at like certain things and i think some people try to push those boundaries sometimes but i'm very clear on like 
making sure those boundaries are pushed. And I guess I've heard um, we're talking about this last time. There's been a lot of cases with, for example, like I know OnlyFans doesn't have they can't ensure like the safety in a way of their creators. For example, like I was saying last time that there's been cases where people um, subscribe to someone's OnlyFans content and then take screenshots and distribute to other people. It's completely wrong and should just yeah. be banned off the service. But I know OnlyFans doesn't do a great job of like monitoring situations like that. Like they can't go beyond like what's already on the service. So how do you kind of ensure that doesn't happen? Yeah. Okay. So I have my own, a lot of, I'm in the industry for a minute. So I have my own legal team that helps me with like, if someone's screenshotting, if someone's screen recording, I don't have really any way to tell, but my team can do like back searches, um, like uh, like the reverse Google photo search where like they'll screen, they can screenshot my videos and then they can see if those videos ended up online anywhere. So with just like that one small thing, that's how I handle that. And if they do, they can see it, so. So it is, it's kind of crazy. Like I kind of want people to realize that Tariq is kind of running a business on its own. He has to consider like certain drawbacks that we would like, we don't consider, a lot of people don't consider it to be sex work, like a legitimate industry, but yeah. OnlyFans has done a great job of kind of legitimizing it and kind of creating like a platform that allows people to like, people to share interests and creators to actually have fun as well. But you're having to go a step beyond to kind of ensure everything is taken care of so it's a, it's a lot of work to kind of maintain the service do you ever feel like i just need to take a break and be off this for a while like i just need some time to myself yeah constantly and i think i feel like that all the time and so that's why i started taking that one day off and just like even though it's only one day it's like enough time for me to just like not i turn my phone off i don't like check any text messages or anything on OnlyFans or anything like from any man in the world i just ignore it <laughs> So that's sort of how I deal with that whole like constant working burnout. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about some of the more negative aspects of OnlyFans, but I did kind of want to highlight something that we talked about in pre-interview because I just think you put it in a really beautiful way that I'm probably not going to be able to recap. Um, but growing up in a Roman Catholic household, like we just didn't, we don't talk about sex. Like I yeah. would rather die than talk about sex with my parents. Um, but you put it in such a beautiful way and that, you saw OnlyFans as a way to help people like explore themselves because your sexuality is a part of yourself and we all yeah. have sexual desires and it's like a normal and healthy thing, but mm -hmm. we don't really norm it as that. Um, yeah. And so I was kind of wondering like, how did your household always have that sort of like perspective? Like how did you get to where you are today? So that's so funny. My mom grew up Catholic and my dad grew up like Baptist and religion is a huge part of my life. It's like, more important than anything to me but I think that for like my family specifically it was always like don't have sex till marriage like wait till marriage to do any of that stuff which okay valid like if that's what you want to do that's what you want to do but anyone who ever has said that is a liar and has already done something sexual so I think that like as long as it's safe and like you guys are both both parties are on the same page or however many parties are on the same page and everybody understands that like either like there's might be an emotional connection there might not be it might be just a physical thing everybody in the world like experiences some sort of sexual desire so i think it should just be normalized like who in the world can like say that they have never been horny or have never like done anything inappropriate like it's just i think we all try to like put out this image of ourselves that's totally false just so we look like better people which is so annoying 
So I know that Saren has been waiting for this for like the entire interview. Um, yeah. So you auditioned for, I don't remember what it's called. Is it the casting couch? Oh, okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, I, I auditioned for Bang Bros um, like a few months ago, which is super cool. Can you walk us through that and kind of how it differed from dancing and like having an OnlyFans? Yeah. So um, it is more of a company-based thing. So I'm not in complete control, which I hate in any aspect, even like just my sex life. I like to be in 100% control of everything. So, um, and there's like other people there and like it's not as like intimate and like personal and like everybody's telling you to do certain angles and certain things. So it's not, I like my OnlyFans personally to be like sexual, but not, like staged you know what I mean and I feel like a lot of like the porn industry is very staged and very like one way so one thing I've just been constantly thinking about Tariq is that you're in the industry and you're kind of aware of what's going on but are you not worried as a person how emotionally and physically taxing it can be and um, this is a question and it's something I've talked about with a friend of mine was that what about your kids I mean you want to have kids? Are you worried about what that conversation is going to look like? This is crazy. So the sex industry is, you know, all about sex and which everybody sees as like a big, like huge, crazy personal connection. Like nobody's ever had a one night stand before. So I think that um, it's important to like, I don't know how to word it. It's hard for me in relationships, like with people that I actually like and like actually on a date. It's hard for me to separate like the sex work from like, actually dating someone which can be hard there's like one guy who i'm pretty close with and um it's been really easy with him because he understands the industry and like stuff like that but it's just it does feel weird like when i've dated other people in the past to um like even date them because it's like oh sorry i can't hang out tonight i'm gonna go film a video of me doing something with this other guy sorry see you later but I think it really just depends on the person. That's one of the hardest parts. It's, it's like, is that, that's where you separate those two personas, I would say, but that can be really hard. That's definitely the most like difficult aspect of the industry for me. And, and like the, in terms of my kids, honestly, my kids are going to be very like sexually educated and very sexually liberal. I think that just comes with me being in the industry. So I hope and pray that they'll understand. And if they don't, that's a conversation we can have. And obviously if I had kids and like, they were so adamant against me, like stopping everything in general. I totally would, but I think it really just depends. You've experienced a lot more different types of people than I have, I'm sure. And like people who want different things and you, you kind of, like we were talking about last time, you have a very good way of kind of not judging people, but like, you know what to expect from people like pretty quickly. What sort of advice would you give to like some people who are like, especially coming out of COVID, you know, a lot of people just have been like hunkered down in their like homes for a long time and struggling back into getting into the dating game. Like, are there any like tips you would have for people trying to, trying to get laid? Let's be, let's just keep, yeah, it, let's just keep it real. Yeah. I think honest, and that's what's so hard is like, even just that to me, like I can give you a million tips on if you're trying to get laid and make money at the same time, I can give a million <laughs> tips on that, but just getting laid. First of all, this is so crazy, and I've never told anyone this except you guys right now and everybody who's listening to this podcast. <laughs> um, so I haven't had sex in seven months. So I'm, like, on this whole, like, celibacy, like, self-journey, which is really odd for people in my industry. Um, 
so I don't know that part's even hard for me but I think that like just being yourself if you're just trying to have sex be honest like just say that especially men I hate when men are like oh my god let me take you out to dinner and like we can go to the bar and stuff like that and then I'll drop you off at home like no you want to have sex just say that so I think that like and I think men think that women will find that weird but that goes back to like just the stigma behind sex that it's like a man's thing like women don't crave sex in any way which is totally untrue um and I think every girl and gay out there who like hangs out with girls know that girls talk about sex just as much as guys do but it's just not as socially appropriate you know what I mean right so what I sorry like if you heard like a girl walking down the street and being like oh I want to get fucked tonight and like that would be an issue, but if you heard a guy being like, oh, I want to fuck somebody tonight, everybody's like, yeah, I get it. You know what I mean? So I'm not going to lie. When I saw Saren's question in the, like, notes, I thought he meant, like, building intimacy with other people because he used the word intimacy. But one of the things, like, I actually think it's a good question to explore in terms of building intimacy with other people, not necessarily, like, in a sexual context, but just interacting with people and building connections in a time where it's really, really hard. And I think one of the things that really impresses me about you is you're very, like, you're very confident, you're very good at reading people, but you also have a, I think your dad told me that story about you just at Emory and Henry just shooting guns with, you know, some neighbors, you know? Yeah, I think that, like, being able just to adapt, like, you're going to do things that put you out of your comfort zone and that feel weird, and, like, you might end up hating it, but, like, at least you know that you hate it, you know what I mean? Like, would I want to shoot guns every day? Probably not. But, like, now I know that because I did it, if that makes sense. Right. And it's honestly, so I like, think it's I think it's kind of, like, a vulnerable thing, too. Because, like, you know, being Black, being gay, and being in that community and trying to interact with people mm-hmm. and put yourself out there is, I assume, like, very, very yeah. hard. You know, but I do think that you've been very vulnerable with us. When we were in the pre-interview, Tariq told us, like, I will talk about anything. Like, I'm very open. Um, and I will say that, like, impresses me, like, a lot. And I think it's... A very great, yeah. a very good tool for like, building intimacy and like I think that's one of I think that's yeah with intimacy and relationships that's one of like the most important things is everybody wants to like put on this persona of like they're perfect and like their life is not crumbling like we're all going through a pandemic or everybody's life is crumbling like it's just we need to as a society I think just stop trying to be perfect all the time because like there's been months like on OnlyFans I've made like four dollars and then there's been months where I've made a lot more than four dollars so it's like everybody expects like the only fans and all the sex work industry to be like perfect all the time and everybody's life is perfect all the time but that's just not how it is so just the honesty and like stuff like that i think i i just have one last question i'm kind of curious about the celibacy journey i said that really mm-hmm. celibacy journey um so why did you decide to go on it and how's it been so far so i think the sex work industry is so like emotionally taxing because it's hard for you to know if you're like actually connected to someone or if you're just like doing it for the filming or for anything like that. So I stopped because I was like, there's no way that I'm going to be like, I'm at the point in my life where I'm like financially ready to like settle down and like have a boyfriend if I want to. So there was no way that I was going to find a boyfriend if I was just like having sex and like just doing all these different things. So I think the celibacy thing really was like, there's a difference between like lust and love you know what I mean so everybody experiences lust and like sure there's like 10 million times that I wish I would have had sex with people but didn't so I just did it sort of like to find myself and make sure that I was emotionally okay and not having to deal with it and then also like just um it can just be really emotionally hard I think 
is the most important thing. So that was what was important to me. What are your hopes for like the next like five, 10 or do you, are you someone who has like a long-term goal in mind or are you more like short-term oriented? No, I think I used to be very short-term oriented, which is why I was such an asshole of a child. Um, but I think the being like long-term oriented is super important now. Um, so for example, like for me, long-term is like a year to like five years. And right now I've like paid off all my bills for the next like six months, which is good, which means I have six months to save money. So I think in five years, I definitely see myself with kids. I want kids like two years ago. Um, I just love babies. So I want a kid for sure. I sort of want that like white picket fence fantasy that like everybody dreams of, but with like the sex work spin, like stripper pole in the kitchen, like while my kids are reading their books, like that's sort of what I'm going for. Um, but like, I don't know, I think, and I also think just educating people on like the sex work industry and just like sex in general, I think I really want to put some reform into sex work, especially in the United States, because it's really just, uh, there is none at all. And then also, um, I want to teach sex ed classes for like high school, and middle school, because I feel like everybody had that like old white lady who was like probably 75, hadn't had sex in 10 years, that was like teaching us like, oh, if you have sex, you're going to get herpes, sorry, like, that's just the end of it. So I think I want to teach people that, like, oh, that is a possibility that is not always what's going to happen to you, and if you do have sex, this is the safest way and some things like that, so. And also an LGBTQ, like, focused sex class would be super cool because there is none of that in anywhere, really. To wrap this up, is there anything that you'd like to plug? Yeah, okay, so my Instagram's tgardner07, and then all everything that I have is tagged in my Instagram bio. TikToks, OnlyFans, Snapchats, all that different stuff is in there.